last time, and as I kind of got through the end of it, what I realized was, actually, I think it's a combo cup of all of that. I think it's a comedy. I think it's a tragedy. I think it's a drama. I think it's romantic comedy involved in that. I think it's kind of all of that because what's been on my heart for about a year now, a little bit over a year now, is this whole idea of story, of, of, of this great story that's unfolding, this great story that he's crafted and made and drawn up and sketched out, and then this individual story that he's given to us in our life to live out and be a part of. And as we're singing it, it's funny because I never, I didn't speak with uh, Bo or them about music ahead of time about what I was going to talk about or what direction we were going. As we're kind of going through song to song, it was like this thread stitching all of where we're going together. And um, they were sitting there singing that song of, this is a, my life is a love song for you. And I was thinking about Zephaniah 3, where it talks about him singing over us and delighting in us and rejoicing over us. And then the, the song of, here I stand with my arms wide open and I'm for you and I'm all about you and my life surrendered and given to you. And how it's that beautiful give and take. That, that's his story. If you're kind of trying to get the, the Cliff Notes version, because I, I, I like to read less. But if you get the Cliff Notes version of it, that's the deal, is that he loves us immensely, immeasurably. He has great big plans and visions for us. He desires to use us in amazingly big and awesome ways. And he has a unique individual story for us that he says, I want you to live this out. And our response in this perfect world is, here I stand with my arms wide open and my heart surrendered, and I give my whole life to you, and I say, Lord, have your way, that you would just take this. And I think that's, that's kind of where we're going. Um, Donald Miller, in his book, uh, Painted Desert, says this. And I want you to focus in on the tail end of it, but it's all good. He says this. And so my prayer is that your story will have involved some leaving and some coming home, some summer and some winter, some roses blooming out like children in a play. My hope is that your story will be about changing, about getting something beautiful born inside of you, about learning to love a woman or a man, about learning to love a child, about moving yourself around water, around mountains, around friends, about learning to love others more than we love ourselves, about learning oneness as a way of understanding God. And then hit on this last one, really focus in on this. And he says, we get one story, you and I, and one story alone. God has established the elements, the setting, the climax, and the resolution. It would be a crime not to venture out, wouldn't it? It would be a crime not to venture out, wouldn't it? He follows it up a couple sentences later, and he says this. He says, I want to repeat one word to you. Leave. Of all that, of all that he just said, he says, I want to repeat one word to you, and that's leave. Go. Launch move forward. I've got this great story that I desire for you. I have this great story that I've crafted out for you. I have this individually unique story for you that I want to call you into, and I just want you to go. When I say go, when I say move, when I say come along, here's what I want you to do. And and getting back to the genre question of what genre is it, I think as much as anything, this is kind of a maybe a little bit of a dredging, maybe a little bit of a let's let, let's figure out what kind of stuff is there. Like somebody's been reading your mail or email or face stalking thing, whatever you do, or Twittering. or It's like somebody maybe be kind of reading your mail and kind of getting into your business a little bit. I think that's kind of it. But when you start off and we start looking at this story that he's calling us into, let me, let me hit on why story for a second. I teach uh, and, and I'm an administrator over at a private school, and 
at the school, we had a lot of girl drama. I know that's shocking. We had a lot of girl drama, and there was a lot of meanness, and they were picking on each other and calling names, and, and it was just, I mean, it was awful. It was kind of falling apart. And so from about October up, I just started watching people of all shapes and sizes and colors and denominations and all of that, and uh, not in a weird, freaky, stalking kind of way, just watching, just observing. And, and what I saw was this. Here's what it brought me to was that we're all fractured on some level, in some degree, in some places, by something. And we all have these points of fracture. And in these places of fracture is where he desires to move and make us whole and bring real healing and move us beyond the fracture. We weren't made in this great story to live fractured. Fracture happens because of of the sin nature in our life. He says, I want to move you past that fracture and into this great story of wholeness, and into this great story of completeness. So let me read a couple passages for you. Thank you, Molly. Again. The promise is this. Here's the promise of the story. In-game promise of the story. John 10.10 says this. I'm going to the second part of John 10.10. It says, I have come so that you can have life and have life abundantly. I have this abundantly rich story, this abundantly rich life that I desire for you to live. My promise to you is if you'll chase me, if you'll follow me, if you'll go hard after me, you'll have this abundant life and story that'll just absolutely knock you out. That's ground zero. Jeremiah 29 says that, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper and grow, not plans to harm. And so I've got this great story mapped out for you, great plan for you, and I promise it to you if you'll chase hard after me. The problem comes in Romans 6.23, where it says the wages of sin is death. And so we have this sin issue in our life, this sin issue that keeps us from fully engaging in that abundant life, from chasing after those great plans that he has for us. In Romans 3.23 it says, and again, it's our sin problem, all have fallen short, so we all have this sin problem. Another way to look at it is we all have these points of fracture. We all have these points of disconnectedness in our life where we need him to move in and make it whole. In John 10.10a, it says this, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and and destroy. We, we love the second part of the, I come, I've come so you can have life and have it abundantly. The first part of it, we want to move past. But the truth of it is this. There are elements in our life. There are these places of fracture that work against that abundant living. And so we have this sin nature problem. And so then the solution, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. Right? So solution, problem, sin nature, fracture, issues. Solution, John 3.16, I came, I died on a cross because I love you and I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing. Romans 8, 1 through 2, in paraphrase, basically says this, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, therefore there is no more condemnation, that you are truly set free. So big plan, big picture, big story that he's doing is I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. I have great plans for you. I've got a great theme and plot line and storyline that's going to be full of rich characters. They're going to be a part of your story that you're going to interact with and move around. Issue is we can't fully engage it because of that fracture, that weakness, those places of brokenness. I've overcome that by coming and dying on a cross for you and your sins to heal and bridge that fracture. And so, therefore, there's no more condemnation. And then we get to a conjunction. Now there's, there's this but. 
So I'm free, and I'm free indeed, and there's release, but there's a backside problem. And that's on Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. It basically says this. It says, why I don't understand what I'm doing. I find myself doing these things that I don't want to do. Even though I get it, even though I understand John 3.16, even though I understand great plans and great purpose, I still find myself doing these things that I don't want to do. And then in, in Proverbs 26, it puts it a little bit more brutally, and especially for a Sunday morning right after you just had brunch, I'm sure, is it like a dog returns to its vomit as a fool returns to his, vo- his folly. So why do I keep doing these things? Okay, I get it. I understand big story, big picture, life abundantly, great plans to prosper, to grow. I get all of that, but I keep doing these things. And and I think this. I think that all of us kind of manufacture these boxes that we limit ourselves in. If you want to call them prisons, we can call them prisons. If you want to call them jails, our cells, call it what you want to. The reality of it is we all place ourselves into these positions that trap us in. The hard part for it is this. The hard part for us is this, is that when you look on the inside of the cell, if you go into prisons in in Vietnam during the war, if you go into prisons in Latin America where they're holding all these prisoners of war are just political dissidents, if you look inside, there are claw marks inside the cells where people are trying to get out. They're chipping wood away. They're working around the rim. They're trying to get out of these cells. I think if you looked at our life, our lives, and you examine the inside of ourselves, you wouldn't see necessarily claw marks trying to get out as much as you'd see fingerprints and handprints of us putting them up. Because when you talk about these prisons or these cells or these places that we box ourselves in, a lot of them are self-constructed. Free, freedom is going to do one of two things. He says, I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. In, 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 in Galatians 5, it talks about, I've come so you can be free and free indeed and not go back to this yoke of slavery The truth of freedom is this. It's going to do one of two things. It's either going to increase itself or it's going to increase bondage. Freedom is either going to increase itself. You get it. You understand it. You grasp it. You pursue it and go after it because you live within the confines of what he's doing in your life or the freedom of, okay, look, I did all this stuff and now I'm past it and I'm free and I'm going to start chasing what I want to chase again. So freedom is either going to increase itself or it's going to increase bondage. And the reality of it is, the response that you have to the freedom is what determines which one it does. So the way that you respond to it determines whether it's going to increase freedom or increase bondage in your life. And I think this, with these prisons, with these little cells that we kind of capture ourselves in, I think there, there are three distinct things that construct these prisons. And I think everything else kind of falls under one of these three things. The first one is our past. I think a lot of us, I think me included, I think a lot of us in here wrestle and struggle with and grapple with our past. You know, for some of you, when you hear about your past or your history, you think about great things, about puppies and sunshine and ice cream trucks and going to the beach with your family and Kit Kats on Saturday. It is fantastic. You had this great past, this great history that you live out where everything was rosy and it was a good life for you. That's not everybody's story. That's not everybody's past. Some of our past is, is a little bit messy. It's a little ugly. It's a little stinky. There's a stench to it. Maybe because of some things that we've done. Maybe because of actions that we chose or freedom that we thought was real and it got us deeper into bondage. Some of our past looks like this series after series after series of bad choices and poor, and poor decision making. 
Some of us, when we think about our past, it's not so much what we did, but it's what somebody else did to us. It's about what somebody else took away from us. It's about what somebody else allowed to come into our lives when they should have been protecting and defending us. And for some of us, when we think about our past, it's, it's stinky because of what other people did. And we kind of we wallow in that. We kind of sit in that just a little bit. Some of us just don't want to even think about our past. We don't even engage it. We don't acknowledge it. It's like it didn't happen. It's like I went from 1 to 20 years old, and everything between 1 and 20 I don't want to talk about. I don't want to go back and revisit. And all it does is it just sits there and it festers, and it's going to pop up and be ugly and stinky at the most inopportune time. I can deal with it. I can handle it. I've got this great package that I can work around, but, but I don't want to talk about that. And eventually, whether it's when you get married and it comes up in that relationship or when you have kids and it comes up in that relationship or you are, you're in work and a situation arises and it comes out then, it's going to come up. It's going to fester up. It's just a matter of when it happens. And so a lot of us are limited from moving forward in freedom and really embracing what he's doing, but because of our past and what's happened to us or because of what we've done and our choices that we make. The second thing, the second area where I think a lot of this lack of freedom and, and self-imprisonment comes in is because of relationships that we're in. I think this. I think relationships is number one. If you, had to, if you had to rank out the three, I think relationships is the number one thing that gets us into these bad situations and circumstances. Think about all the relationships. Your life is defined by relationships, relationships with your family, whether it's your mom and dad or your husband and wife, your brother and sister, your kids that you have, your grandkids that you have, your coworkers, whether it's the people that are underneath you or the people that are above you, whether it's the people that you play church league softball with on Thursday nights or basketball. Your life is defined by all of these relationships that you connect with and people that you have interaction with. And here's the hard part about relationship. I'm not, I'm not talking about the casual one that you see once a year. I'm talking about people that you're in relationship with on a consistent basis. Relationships are going to be one of two things. They're going to be life-giving. Uh, David in, in, in Davidology talks about life-giving relationships, life-breathing relationships. Your relationships are either going to be life-giving or they're going to be life-taking. There, there aren't neutral relationships. Either they're giving and pouring into you and investing and growing or your relationships are taking away. They're robbing from you. And so when you talk about these relationships, there's vulnerability and there's openness and there's greater access to be able to hurt you and to get into your life and cause harm. There's also greater access to lift you up and inspire you and grow you and move you forward. But because of the access and the vulnerability of relationship, it creates a place where you are susceptible to be damaged. And so I think relationships are a big stumbling block for a lot of us. So, some of you have been wounded desperately by the church. Some of you have a hard time even coming to church or thinking about church or going to church because the church hurt you when you were a kid. Something was said. You were hurt by somebody in the church. Words were spoken. You were ostracized. Something happened and the church hurt you. So for you to even step in the door of a church is a tough deal for you. When people talk about how great their father or their mother is, that, that stings you and throws darts at you because that's not what your mother and father were. When people talk about how great their kids are and what their kids are accomplishing and doing, that hurts you because you're having a hard time conceiving a child. And so there are all these areas of, of relationship that give you great access and vulnerability. You're jealous of what somebody else has. 
you're, you're envious of where they're going in life and what their job is. Relationships create this vulnerable, broken, open place. And then the third part of it is this. The third area where I think that we create and construct these prisons or, or, or false walls is through fear. I think we're just absolutely afraid. I was telling her earlier, when Molly and I first got married, and don't get me wrong, I love my wife dearly. I think she's fantastic. I think she's awesome. She absolutely blows me away. But when we first got married, I, I was old when we got married. And when we got married, I'd lived life for a long time and done things my way, and I thought that I had some degree of stability. And when we got married, I lost my mind. I absolutely lost my mind. I'd wake up in the middle of the night sweating and breathing heavily, and I'd throw the blankets off, and I'd push her away. Literally, I would shove her away to the other side of the, not in a mean way, in a loving, caring, compassionate way. I, I would literally push her away and shove her away because I was, I was suffocating. I was dying. I was like, <laughs> and, and sure, maybe it's because I was overweight, but the other part of it was I, I thought, I can't do this. I can't be a good father. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a good husband. I don't know how to be a good son-in-law. I don't know how to do any of this. We're going to go broke, and we're going to lose the house, and I'm going to go to jail for something, and it's going to be awful, and life is just going to be, I couldn't do it. And, and then finally, after about a year, year, which is a great year, hey, welcome to marriage. My husband's having panic attacks because he doesn't like me. He doesn't want to be married to me. That just screams great relationship. But after about a year, I finally got to a point of release where I understand, no, I can't do this. This isn't about me. It's not dependent upon me that we can move forward and get beyond that. And now it only happens three, four times a week, and it's much better now. And, and I think we're really moving on with it. But I think that that idea of fear, of what am I, I'm, I the economy's so bad I lost my job. Am I ever going to get a job again? Am I ever going to get a job again? We just had our first child. Am I going to be able to take care of the child? I don't know how to change a diaper. I don't want to put the cream in the wrong place. I don't know what I'm doing. That can't be good. It shouldn't look like that. All these fears of what, what about my wife? Am I speaking enough into her? Is she going to love me literally till death do we part? Or is she going to cause death and part early so she can check out of the deal? I don't know what's happening, but is this thing going to last? Is it ever going to be good enough or sufficient? I think that's the whole deal is this. The question we ask with fear is, is it going to be sufficient? Is it going to be enough? Am I going to be cool enough? Am I going to be nice enough? Are they going to like me if I go here? I was, I was scared to death. We, we, we sent our, our, our son to preschool. What do we call it? Preschool? Mother's morning something out. He went somewhere where they had books, and so we dropped him off. And when we dropped him off at the door, I'm literally sitting there thinking, my kid's 20 months old, and I'm sending him to school. Is he going to be the smartest one in the class? Is he going to be smart? Is he going to be athletic? Is he going to be this? I'm worried about all the outcomes of a 20-month-old baby. And, and, and uh, like in the back of my mind, I keep hearing that, shh, shh, I've got it. Just stop, just stop. And so we, we worry about all these things. So I think those three areas of relationships and living in fear in all these areas of fracture and weakness, and we live in fear, and we talked about um, our past and struggling with our past and trying to overcome all the things that we've done. I think those three areas box us in. So here's the question. If I get John 3.16, 
that he came and he died on the cross to set me free so that I can have life eternally. If I believe, John 10.10, 10, that he's come so that I can have this abundant, great, passionate life where he's got these great plans and a great story for me. If I believe that, what do I do with that fracture? What, what do I do with these prisons or cells that I've boxed myself into? How do I respond to them? And I think there's four basic responses to it. Response number one is this. You do nothing. I've heard it, get it, but I do nothing. I just sit in this cell. I keep doing the same thing. My life doesn't change. There's no transformation. There's nothing different about me before or after. I'm just sitting in the same place. Part of it is I don't believe I deserve it. I don't think I deserve that kind of grace. I don't think I deserve that kind of healing. I don't think I deserve the goodness and fullness and abundance of life that he's saying he has for me. I don't think I deserve it. Part of it is I don't know how to walk. I don't know how to get up and step out of this cell and start engaging what he's doing. Never done it before. Don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to do it. And I think part of it is this. This is comfortable. This may be a cell, but at least it's my cell. This may be diminished. This may not be abundant, but at least I know how to operate within this space. I'm afraid if I step out. In this cell, I'm somebody. If I step out, I don't know if I'm still going to be somebody. And so we just sit in that same place. Here's the hard part is we're sitting in a cell with a door that's wide open and an invitation to step out, and yet we still sit in the same place. So the response, first response is we do nothing. We just sit and churn and chew and engage the same old stuff. Option number two, our response is that we get out we, we say, okay, I'm walking out the door, and we step out of the door, and once we get out the door, we use our freedom to go back and chase all those things that got us locked in jail in the first place. There's, there's a sociological word, criminology word, called recidivism, and it's a big fancy word, and all recidivism means is simply this. It's the rate at which people who've been in jail and get out go back. And, and I was looking up the stats again this morning. If, the, if you look at the rate of recidivism in the U.S., it's this. It's about 70%. So people go to jail. They've served time in jail. They've seen the effects of their, of their sin and their transgression. They're locked up. They get released. They've served their time, and they get out. And then 70% of them go back to jail. And we shake our head. Ah, oh, it's awful. Awful. Can't believe it. How could, you, how could you go to jail and then go back to jail? I would, I would venture this. I would say that the rate of spiritual recidivism is exponentially higher than prison recidivism. I, th I think as Christians, we do a great job of having that moment where we get it. Maybe, we, maybe it's at youth camp and they're playing the right song and our friends talk and we move and we go down. Maybe we even legitimately meant it of, Lord, I believe you, I'm going for it. And then we come back home and we kind of keep chasing the same things. For some of us that are in a different generation, maybe it was the 1,038th time they played Just As I Am. And I came down to the front of the church and I had my, my Billy Graham time and I gave it. And then I just keep circling back to the same thing. And I keep doing the same stuff. You know, that's the Romans 7 part. Romans 7 says, why do I do what it is that I don't want to do? That's recidivism. Like a dog returns to its vomits, a fool that returns to its folly. That's recidivism. And so we keep going back to the same things. The third possible outcome is this, is that we get out of jail, but because we're so either A, defeated by what we've been through, or B, 
worried about going back to jail, we live this small life. We end up, we end up carving out another cell for us on our own, in our own space. If you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, when Morgan Freeman gets out of jail, he lives this life where he's sitting on the end of his bed in a hotel room with nothing on the walls, and he's just trying to survive so he doesn't mess up again. That's, that's what we do spiritually. As we get out of jail, we have all this freedom, all this possibility, John 10, 10, life abundantly, and we live this small life marked by cones that we place around our world, either A, so we can be repentant enough, we can confess enough, we can look defeated enough because we're guilty about what we did, or we live this small life because we're afraid of messing up. We live this Pharisee-like life of all these laws and sub-laws and sub-laws that define our space so we don't blow it. And the fourth possible outcome is this. Fourth possible outcome is we get out of jail and we just launch. And we get it. We understand freedom and we start moving forward and we're engaging the process and we're learning and we're coming to church or we're in small group or we're pre- Whatever it is, we get it and we're moving forward because we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good and I want more of that. And so whether it's our past that holds us back and all of that stuff, I, I want to say this about your past and your relationships. There, there are some people in here right now, me included, me especially, that have these junky hearts that are just filled with this ungrace and this unforgiveness. There's a lot that just have this stinky, junky stuff in our hearts of, I've been wounded by you, you've hurt my heart, you've hurt my life, you've spoken things into me that have defeated me, and we're just, we're bitter, and we're angry, and and we just want to lash back out. I worked for a guy for two years that I wish that I could have gone after. I wanted everything in my power for that guy to get hurt. Bot- I mean, this is it. This is raw junk. I, w- I wanted him gone, like literally gone. Couldn't stand him, had no respect for him. And, and, and what I ended up getting to the point of after about two years of that was that's not a his-end issue. He is what he is. That's a my-end issue because I'm giving this guy control of my life. I'm letting him determine my attitude. I'm letting him determine where I want to go in life. I'm I'm letting him take captive my thoughts. I'm spending too much time worrying about this guy and what he's doing instead of the condition of my own heart. You know, my, my, my dad and my mom and dad were divorced when I was 12 or 13 or 14, somewhere in there. And, and basically, he wasn't engaged at all. He was out of the process, wasn't involved in the mix. Um, didn't, he came around for a couple Super Bowl events and showed up and made some FaceTime so he could get in a picture and, and act like he was part of the process. But the reality of it in my life was this. He wasn't there. And, and what he did, it was, especially with my younger sister and, and the way that it hurt her and wounded her not to have father around, it was awful. And just it was, it was a bad deal. And I remember this was about 10 years ago. I was in my mid to late 20s, and my dad had had lung cancer, and he had his lung removed, and we're in the hospital. And he, when, he, when he had the lung removed, the cavity became infected. And so he's going to have to go in and have surgery. The possibility of him making it was, was probably 2080, probably wasn't going to make it. And so 10 o'clock one night, got through with football practice and coaching, and I drove over to the hospital, and it was just him and I in the room. And I don't know, I mean, it was totally the Lord pushing on my heart that you need to fix this. You need to resolve this unforgiveness, this ungrace in your life. And we sat there on the bed, and, and we made small talk, awkward talk, because we saw each other once a year. 
And after the small talk and awkward talk, this just hit me. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, I want you to know this. I said, Dad, I apologize for being an awful son. I apologize for the things that I've thought about you. I apologize for the way that I've spoken to you. I apologize for never getting in contact with you or wanting you to even be a part of my life. That I apologize for being a bad son. And I want you to know that I need you to forgive me for being a bad son. And then I also offered this. I said, Dad, I want you to know this. I forgive you for being an awful dad. I forgive you for never being there. I forgive you for not being a part of my life. I forgive you for what injury you did to my family, to my sister. Dad, I release you of that. And, and this isn't a go-me thing, but from that point on, somehow he grew to have a real somewhat substantial relationship with the Lord of reading him and finding out more about him and connecting on, on, online and in papers and in books. And there is great healing and release and forgiveness. And I think for a lot of us here, I think that's it. I think that that's that block. That's that prison with our handprints and fingerprints on the inside that we keep ourselves trapped up in. And I think part of it is this. We've got to come to a point to where our desire and desperation for him is greater than our desire and desperation to get even. And you're never going to get even. You're never going to catch up. It's never going to be enough. And so I think whether it's your past uh, this, and this thought hits me now. I don't know about your past. I think some of you need to let yourself off the hook. I, I think some of you need to forgive you, forgive yourself and release yourself from your past. I think that's that false prison we put up when we get out is that I, I can't ever be forgiven enough for what I've done. You have no idea how junky it is. You have no idea how rough it is. I, I, I can't. I think some of us need to let ourselves off the hook and release ourselves because he has. And he says, let yourself go. And so whether it's your past because of what you did, because of what somebody else did to you, whether, whether it's your history, I, I've shared this before here. T.D. Jake says either you're going to make a decision to live in your history or you're going to make a decision to live out the fullness of your destiny. But you can't do both. Some of you had a great history, and I think he would say this, you can't have that. That's already done. It's history. It's in the past. He says, I'm doing a new thing and I'm moving forward. You've got to make a decision to get out of your past and come with me. And so whether it's your past or relationships and fracture and brokenness and that, I think it would say, I need you to move forward. And so ask yourself honestly this. Of the first three, my past, my relationships, my past, my relationships, and fear, of those three, which one's my biggest one? Some of you are this. Some of you are afraid of, of forgiveness. Some of you are afraid of what that means in your life. Some of you are afraid of, if I forgive this person, what other relationship do we have? Because our relationship's been defined by ungrace. Our relationship's been defined by bitterness. If I forgive them, then what do we talk about? If I release them, then how do we act around each other? I think some of you are afraid to engage the process because you might not find, like what you find when you start looking at your own heart. I think we'd say, look at your stuff. So of those three, relationships, fear, is that right, Molly? Thanks. Relationships or fear or your past, which one are you rooted in? Which one, do you, which one hits closest to home for you? And of the four possible responses to it, which one of those four hits closest home to you? Are you just sitting in a cell with a door that's wide open because we're afraid to venture out? 
Are you just sitting there beating yourself up because you think it's what you deserve and you're afraid to engage the process of healing and moving forward? Have you been released, but you're living out that Romans 7 life of why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep going back to the same junk? I don't know how to live free, so I just live like I used to. Are you sitting there and you've gotten out, but you're living this small, diminished life? You're not having this John 10.10 life abundantly because you're allowing the enemy to steal it from you by putting doubt in your head or cloudiness in your head or by putting these limitations in your head about what you think you deserve. Or is, is, it, is, it, is it the fourth one? Have you stepped out, you're moving out, you're going forward, but you need somebody to walk with you. You, you need somebody going alongside you, encouraging you. I was walking there or driving over by Kennesaw Mountain, and during the weekends especially now, I think it's coming up in October, the uh, Susan B. Komen uh, breast cancer, three days coming up. And so all up and down Kennesaw Mountain and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the avenue over there, there are all these people wearing pink. It's like a pink explosion and pink hats and sweatbands, and they're like in packs or herds. There's like dozens of them, and they're fanny packed up, and they have water bottles, and it's like we're in this thing together, and we're fighting the cause, and here we Some of you need that. You need fanny pack friends. You need people that are willing to walk alongside of you and get, get in the business with you and help you move forward and encourage you and pick you up. You need people along for the ride. And, and so no matter where you are in those four, I think, I think what Donald Miller said is, is true. He says, we get one story, you and I, and one story alone. God's established the elements, the setting, the climax, and the resolution. It'd be a crime not to venture out, wouldn't it? He's thrown the door open. You don't have to sit in a cell. You don't have to sit in a limited life, in a limited world with a limited story. You don't have to keep going back to the same stuff, and you don't have to do it alone. He says, I've got a great story for you individually that's a part of my bigger story for us collectively. And he says, I invite you to join me. I invite you to venture out. But most importantly, I remind you this, just leave. Leave your past in the past. Leave your ungrace and forgiveness in the past. Leave this old cell that you constructed in the past. And he says, I want you to come, and I want you to move forward. And so here's what we're going to do. And it'll be awkward because I do awkward well. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to have you kind of stand up in those four groups. We're not, gonna, we're not doing four corners. So, so if you're like real sinning over here, you feel pretty good about the sinning that you're in back there. We're not doing that. I'm just going to have you stand up. I'm going I'm to label out the four things. Just stand up. Whichever one hits closest home to you. Um, if everything's right in your world and you feel perfect and, and you've got it all together and you're, you're magical, okay, that's good. Stay with that. But I would say this. I think all of us are hit by one of these four things. And I think all of us fall into one of these four categories. And I think those three limitations play into our lives in some way. Some of you need to release. Some of you need forgiveness and need to ask it and seek it. Some of you need to offer it. But let's just stand up when I call one of those. So the first one is this. I'm just going to pray for us. And both you come up. I'm just going to pray for each one of these groups, and then we'll kind of close it out at the end. If you fall into the first category of, John 3.16 is a nice verse. It's a nice notion. If John 10.10, this abundant life, is a nice notion for you, but it has no reality in your life, you feel like you're still just sitting in that same place, doing the same things, confined by these same walls. And this one is a bold step to stand up. But if you you feel like that's you, and you feel like I'm tired of sitting in the same place, churning the same ground, looking through an open door, and you just want to call out, this, this is the Lazarus moment. 
This is the Lazarus moment. Lazarus is in this tomb, and he stinks, and he's got these bandages all over him, and the Lord says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come. So if you're having your Lazarus moment, and you're sitting there, and it's just stinky, and he's saying, come, I, I would ask that you would just step out. And so if you feel like you fall into the first category of, I'm just sitting in this cell, and I'm ready to move past, if you would, just kind of stand up where you are. Again, awkward moment for me. If you would, just stand up where you are. And then people around him, if you wouldn't mind, just join in in prayer with him. And I'll pray for him. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much that you are a God of redemption. You're a God of wholeness, a God of healing. Father, that you are bigger than our greatest fears and our biggest hesitations, God. That you're a God of movement and progress. And Lord, that you desire to break old habits. You desire to break old bondage, Lord, that your plan for our life is that it would be abundant and that we would live free indeed. And so, Lord, for this group, Lord, I pray great freedom in their life. I pray for boldness and courage to rise up and step out of the same old thing and step out of the same old cell. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with your spirit, that you would raise up people around them that would help them walk forward. And, Lord, I pray that they would know that your hand is upon them and that they are free indeed. And so, Lord, invade their life with your presence and your spirit, that your peace and your love would not just be a notion, but it would be a reality in what they do. So, Lord, bless them and move in their life. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. All right, the second group is the you've been called out and you've stepped out, but you're living that Romans 7 existence of why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep falling back into the same old trap or going back to the same things or even going to different things that end up with the same result? So if you fall into that second category, if you would just stand up and, um, and we'll pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, for courage and I thank you for a desire to follow hard after you, Lord. I pray that you would break old traditions and old customs. I pray that you would break old habits and patterns, Lord, that you would raise up new things and new ideas, new passions in their lives. I pray that you would raise up new friends that would encourage them. I pray that you would give them boldness of foot to step forward and move beyond the rut of the routine. Lord, I pray that you would expand their mindset of what you think is possible in their life. I pray that you would expand their vision for where you're going to take them and what you're going to do through them. I pray that you would give them feet that are quick to walk and hands that are quick to grab a hold of what you're doing. And so, Lord, move them forward. Move them beyond the rut. Move them beyond the same old, same old. And, Lord, that they would embrace a new reality in their life of who you are and what you're going to do. Lord, we pray for transformation in this group. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. All right, the third group is the you stepped out. And you feel like you've been freed. You get that. But you're worried about dropping the ball. You're worried about missing the mark. You live a limited existence. You put these cones up around your life of, I don't want to venture too far because I want to make sure that I hit the mark. Or I'm not even worthy of more than this. I need to look more repentant. So I'm going to live this smaller life. So if that's, if that's your group, if you would just slip up. Let's pray. Father, I do pray this. I pray that this would be a time where false walls are broken down, where self-imposed limitations are removed, Lord, where the bigness and the reality of who you are can't be, can't be contained in the small box that we've made. Lord, I pray that you would move 
into this group's lives with full power and full might and full love. And that, Lord, that they would understand that you've moved beyond their past, that you've moved beyond their brokenness and their fracture, and that you're a God of wholeness, a God of healing, and a God of bigness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would absolutely blow them away with who you are to the point to where they would be completely dissatisfied with anything less than the fullness of you. So, Lord, just expose them to this new reality through this great love that they move into. Lord, I do pray that you would remove any fear, any doubt, any hesitation, that you would remove any sense of of self-awkwardness or even self-awareness, Lord, that you would just move them past all that into the fullness of what you're doing. Lord, bless them. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. And then the last group is this. The last group is the group of I've stepped out and I'm moving forward, but today's the day I want to pick up steam. Today's the day I want to pick up speed and I want to start launching even more and going even faster and even harder and chasing it even more with the fullness of what I have. No limitations, no boundaries, no boxes, no fears. I just want to launch and go. But I need friends to walk with me. I need some support. I need some people to come along beside me to give me vision in my spiritual blind spots to help expose those areas in my life that need to be cleansed. Lord, if if that's you, just slip up and, uh, and we'll pray for you, that you want to go even harder, that you want to move even faster, that you want to accelerate the rate at which you've launched at him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for hearts that desire more of you, that desire more of your purpose in their life. And Lord, I do pray this, that you would be the singular target in their life that they launch their life at, that you would be all that they need, the air that they breathe. Lord, I pray that you would not only become their inhale, but you would be their exhale as well, that the life that they live would breathe you out into the lives of those they come into contact with. Lord, I pray that you would just give them a heart that thumps inside of their chest to move quicker towards your goal. Lord, I pray that you would raise up people around them that would not only walk with them, but inspire them to move quicker. Lord, I pray that you would give them true disciples that would follow hard after you to speak truth into their life. Lord, I pray that their life would be an open book, free for examination, open uh, to calculation and, 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 and redo if necessary. Lord, I do pray that everything about them would be laid bare before you. So, Lord, move them quickly to you, inspire their heart, inspire their soul, and, Lord, that you would just blow them up. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. And let's, let's all stand and we'll close up like this.